Several months ago, I watched a mama robin build a nest outside my window. First there was the nest, and then came the blue eggs, and then the blue eggs hatched, and well, we had baby birds, and then those baby birds flew away, and all that was left was an empty nest. Well, Jim Burns joined us on Licensed Apparent just a few months ago, and we talked about the empty nest. What do you do with that emptiness? And after we were done with that interview, Trace Embry said, this is such an important topic, so we're going to get Jim Burns back. So Jim Burns is back with us today, and he's going to continue helping us understand how to find joy in the empty nest. That's next on Licensed Parent. Hi, I'm glad you've joined us for another episode of Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Shepherds Hill is a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Our host is the founder and executive director of Shepherds Hill, Trace Embry. Trace is also the author of The Miracles of Shepherds Hill, and I'm Michelle Hill. Our goal, Unlicensed to Parent, is to take what we're learning each day at Shepherd's Hill and share it with you so that you can be better prepared to raise your kids in a way that honors God. Well, Trace is taking some well-deserved time off, although if you know Trace, you know that time away doesn't always happen the way that he wants it to. So if you need him, he's probably talking with a student about now or maybe even working in a horse pasture or who knows where. Well, our guest on Licensed to Parent today is Jim Burns. Jim is the president of the ministry Homeward, where he writes and speaks on their core values. And I just love these core values. They are strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids, and healthy leaders. Jim and his wife live in Southern California, and they have three grown daughters. So, you know, Jim and his wife are finding joy in the empty nest. Jim, thank you so much for joining me again. Well, joining Licensed to Parent again. Michelle, I'm thrilled to be here, and I love what uh, Trace does with Shepherd Hill Academy, and it's just a joy to get to talk to you. So we'll have a good conversation. We will. So this might be a bit of a recap from our time just a couple of months ago. But Jim, you are helping parents discover joy in this stage of life, the empty nest stage. What does that joy look like? Well, I can first tell you that I was surprised that people didn't have as much joy. Kathy and I didn't have joy when the empty nest came. I mean, we we didn't, it wasn't terrible, but, uh, you know, there was some, a little bit of trauma, like what now, what's next? And so the people who find joy, I think actually embrace the empty nest just as their kids are, you know, off having new experiences, they're choosing to have some new experiences. And I think it's the people who, who actually intentionally um, go about living their life with significance. I always like to say that, you know, games are won in the second half, not in the first half. Uh, some mm-hmm. people stay in the first half and that's not, that doesn't work. You're trying to at least live their life like that. So joy looks a lot better from the side once people have kind of, well, had some fresh experiences, uh, been able to answer their, their now what, uh, what are we going to do with our life? And, you know, the empty nest happens at 48.9. If you look on Google, you know, that's their research. Um, ours was a little later. Wow. But with that so young, you know, you might be in the empty nest longer than you were with your kids. 
So the people who make the best decisions and find the most joy are people who, who work through that, still have a great relationship with their adult children, and make that transition, and then they, they move on to uh, not only having a, a different kind of a relationship with their kids, but they have uh, a different kind of relationship in that second half. And by the way, that's whether they're married or single. Really? Yeah. So what do you see as maybe being some of the joy robbers or why people haven't discovered joy as they're entering into this empty nest phase? Well, for one thing, I, I mean, I call this the empty nest syndrome. You know, they, they don't embrace uh, the change. And so they have sadness, loneliness, uh, almost a desperation. Maybe even in a marriage, you'll see them, they put a lot of stuff under the mat. <laughs> and all of a sudden they look up and they go, wow, it's just us two. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a lot of work to do. And then these are the people who don't work on that. You know, what I like to say is that, you know, if you want to have some significance in your life, then you're going to have to, you know, be intentional about that. And that's where you find that. So, you know, it's the people who made the choice of not working through the relationship with their kids. I always say you got to give your kids the passport to adulthood, even when they're not acting like adults. At least that was our girls. Mm. We have through all girls. And I think at 18, they all said, well, I'm an adult. And I go, yeah, and I'm paying for your cell phone. And I'm <laughs> paying for your car insurance. And I'm paying for your college and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, that didn't work so good. But um, as we began to treat our kids as adults and give them that freedom, give them that passport, I think it really helped us uh, understand that, you know what? It's not just about um, parenting them the way we did for the last two decades. It's about a new way of parenting. And even that's an important issue. But I see a lot of the parents who don't do well, they're, they're not embracing the second half. They're not embracing their midlife. They're, they're not figuring out that, yeah, their kids are going through a rite of passage, but they are too. When they do that, these are the people who finish well, who have purpose, and uh, they're kind of lighting their world on fire. And I'm seeing a lot of people who are making good decisions. I'm seeing a lot of people who are just really struggling with this. It's a, it's a real parallel journey. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it. Well, you know, here at Shepherd's Hill, Trace hears from parents all the time that their kid is the most important thing in their life. Or the parent will come in and say, I just want him or her to be happy. How would you counsel that parent? Yeah, well... We do. I mean, every one of us want that. I mean, I want that. My kids are in their 30s now, and I want that as much as anything. Yeah. And I want that for my three grandkids. <laughs> but what I like to say to parents, and this is a phrase that you, they do use in the same kind of work that Trace does, is you can't want it more than they want it. Mm. And so what happens is we become the one topic parent, or we become the parent who just wants them so happy. But in fact, um, experience is a better teacher than even advice. So just like when they were little tiny kids and, you know, they fell off their bike or they touched their finger on the burner one time, um, sometimes we've got to give them some of those kinds of experiences. And then we live with what we call tough love. Tough love doesn't mean that we're, we're harsh to them. It doesn't mean that we're mean-spirited. It means that we're allowing the consequences of poor choices to live out. And sometimes that means they're not happy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, if they had a finance, I just talked to somebody who had a financial issue with their, their child had really made some poor financial choices. And uh, they said, you know, we, we struggled so hard because we wanted them to be happy and we wanted to bail, bail out. I said, what'd you do? They said, well, they're still paying it off and we didn't bail them out. They have the <laughs> capacity, by the way, Michelle, to bail them out. But that was good parenting. They got the star for the day because how would the kids learn if the parents come and you know, bail them out. Then what we have is not happy kids who are enabled and entitled. And then there's a failure to launch. Mm-hmm. Really the bottom line, 
I think in parenting is helping your kids become responsible adults who love God. Well, to do that, you can't take care of them all the time. And, and our job is not to make them happy. Our job is to make them become responsible adults. And I always like to add who love God. Yeah. But let's go back to this launch. So you want to launch children who are healthy, who are healthy physically, spiritually, mentally. So Jim, how do we help them launch in a very healthy way? Yeah. Well, again, it's never easy. And, you know, I always say a sinner marries another sinner and then they have sinnerlings. So (laughs) it's not going to be easy. But part of it is what I was just talking about, Michelle. I think we have to, we launch them by giving them the passport to adulthood. Mm -hmm. And then we have to ask the question, are we enabling dependency? Because I think as parents, sometimes we enable dependency because we are still taking care of them. You know, we were called the helicopter parents. Mm. And uh, what I'm saying is land the helicopter and uh, we can't enable dependency or they'll, they'll never become responsible. The other thing, and I think a lot of parents have uh, trouble with this. My wife and I sure have is, and it's a principle, but unsolicited advice is usually taken as criticism. So our kids, they think we're giving advice for, for all good reasons. I'm not saying our our intentions are, are probably never poor, but if we're giving advice to them all the time, constantly, what they hear is something different. They hear, you don't trust that I'm all grown. And so sometimes I think we have to back off of that a little bit and, you know, communicate on a different level. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we have to ex- express our expectations and have honest discussions about issues, even like money or other things. But when it comes down to it, it's now their decision. And, uh, you know, I've said to parents who are struggling when their kids have violated values, I, I'll, I'll say that what I just said, you know, you, you can't want it more than they want it. And you can't be a one topic parent. I think this has been hard for Kathy and I. We had a child kind of bump along the way when she got to be an adult, yeah. and uh, she's now doing great. But wow, that was not that was scary. And what we kept looking back at it was we we needed to have a, not be the one topic parents. She knew what we believed. She knew mm-hmm. how we felt. Mm-hmm. So now we had to back off and just build the relationship so that if she crashed, that she would then you know come back to us. Um, not that she, we were estranged by any means, but she she just was happy to. <laughs> to be at a Christian school living not exactly how we had hoped she would live and, you know, we are trained her how to live. And you know what? She came back and, and we were safe people for it because we did, we, you know, we kept hanging out with her and we kept talking through things, but we didn't talk always just the one topic about some of the things that were really bugging us. Jim, how hard is that to move from um, relating to your kid as a kid to relating to your kid as an adult? How did you have those kinds of conversations with your daughter who you were struggling with? Well, it's hard because, again, you've invested at least two decades of your life with your child uh, doing it in a different way. And and you move from, uh, you know, controlling them when they're younger to already then kind of coaching and consulting. I think we had to figure out that most of the day-to-day decisions by the time our kids were like, you know, 16, 17, were going to be their their own decisions, whether we liked it or not. But if they're not coming along, then it's hard. And so I think we have to express a lot of love. We have to continue to have positivity toward them um, and not just be the, if I'm the grumpy old dad who's just only saying negative things, or, or my wife Kathy was, then, you know, they weren't going to come to us when or if they crashed. So fortunate enough, we kind of had that figured out. So the process of my daughter becoming an adult was much longer than it was. She meandered toward responsibility. 
um, where Kathy and I didn't. We got married a week after college. I'm not suggesting everybody should do this, but we became adults. We had mm-hmm. adult, adult responsibilities. We had money things that we had to handle. We had you know, relationships. We had to go rent the apartment and all that kind of stuff. And my daughter kind of meandered. And some of the meandering was great. She was uh, uh, on the mission field, actually. Um, but she just meandered with some of the, the most important uh, things, and it took her a longer time. And one of the things that I write about is what we call emerging adulthood. When I was uh, getting my you know, PhD, I, I studied the, the stages of life. And you had childhood, you had teenagers, and then you had adulthood. Well, today we have what we call emerging adulthood, and that's about age 18 to, say, 24, 25. Some now are saying it's going on up to 30. And so what was happening with our daughter well, she was still kind of uh, going through the experimental phase and she was, you know, trying to figure out who she is and where she was with her faith and what this journey was all about. And, you know, it's, it's new to a lot of people. We didn't have that. Plus, she was a millennial. And uh, today's parents either have millennials or Gen Zs. And that mm-hmm. kid is very different than our generation. So, for example, my daughter would think that for all of us, that tolerance is a view of loving. And tolerance, I get that. I think Jesus was very tolerant. At the same time, there's some things that have a biblical worldview that we struggled with uh, that she, she didn't agree with. So we had to have dialogue that could say, we love you, we embrace what you know, different people are talking about here. However, we don't agree because this is what the Bible says. And we didn't want to become people who were, you know, she just said, I, I can't even deal with you because you have this, you know, Bible thing going on. Now, this is a kid raised in faith. Today, she lives and embra- has embraced her biblical worldview. She's, you know, she's come back, but back then it was tough. And, and again, we learned that millennials and Gen Zs, they just have a different view. So a lot of times the dinner table with adult children at Christmas or Thanksgiving is really tough because mm-hmm. they have a different political view. They have yeah. a different spiritual view. You know, they have a different view of the church or even morals and values. Yes. And a lot of parents will, I think they blow it by, by not willing to have dialogue or show love in the, we do it in, in people in our businesses or our neighbors. They might vote differently than us and we still are going to like them. We're still going to talk to them. We're still going to walk our dogs together. But with our kids, we sometimes aren't willing to allow them to to look at that figure it out and then come back home to their the belief that we train them up you know the bible talks about training up a child in the way that they should go you are listening to licensed to parent our guest today is jim burns jim wrote the book finding joy in the emptiness jim and i will be right back after this In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. 
Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by troubledteen.org. Hi, folks. Trace Embry here, host of the Licensed to Parent broadcast and founder of Shepherd's Hill Academy. We've all heard about modern-day miracles, mostly from mission fields. Frankly, I believed about half of them and experienced none of them until about 30 years ago. Christ truly became the Lord of my life. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill is a book that wasn't written as much as it was recorded. It's the true story of how God used a handshake, my family's last $200, and our 30-year odyssey of bumper-to-bumper miracles to acquire a 60-acre farm that was used by the devil and turned it into a 250-acre globally recognized healing ministry for God. I want all people to know that Jesus Christ is still in the miracle-working business for those submitted to His word, will, and way, and who properly understand what faith truly is. The Miracles of Shepherd's Hill, an extraordinary odyssey of divine interventions by Trace Embry. Learn more at LicensedToParent.org. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. Shepherd's Hill is a one-year residential program for teens in crisis. And today we are helping you, the parent, consider, well, a different approach to the kids clearing out of the house. We're also talking about how to have some very unique and maybe hard conversations. Our guest is Jim Burns. He wrote the book, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. And Jim, just before the break, we were talking about just some of the conversations that are now coming up between um, adult children and their parents. And we're seeing the difference of politics. We're seeing the difference of morality. We're seeing the difference of what we believe in truth. Help us understand how to start having those kinds of conversations with their kids, because it's way too easy to say, well, the Bible says this, or it's way too easy to say, no, 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 you're wrong. That's not how I trained you. Well, as soon as you have that conversation, it stops the, the flow and stops the dialogue. Right. As much as right. you want to say, because I told you so, and I'm your parent, and this is how you yeah. were trained, and this is what you learned in Sunday school and things like that, I actually think we have to broaden it. And then, you know, you need a support system behind you. You need replenishing relationships. That's how you find joy in the empty nest is, mm-hmm. you know, your friendships and your support system. But with the kids, I think we actually have to, you know, not you know, violate our values, but allow them to be heard. Because what I find is sometimes they're, they're like just a, a inch deep. They've been on the online and they saw that somebody said, you know, smoking pot, it draws you closer to Jesus. So, you know, and I'm sure there's an article on that someplace. And so now they embrace that. But the truth of the matter is, is there's things called a motivational syndrome. There's other issues of intoxication with, you know, marijuana. There's, it's sometimes laced with something else, um, you know, five to 20% stronger than what it was, you know, years ago, you know, all those kind of things, but they don't know any of that. Mm-hmm. So when you have dialogue and you listen to them, then I believe that they will then listen to you at times. And I found with my kids when they were in college, all of my kids, is, you know, I always had, you know, a list in my pocket that I wanted to talk to them about. It could be homework, it could be lifestyle, it could be, are you going to church, you know, things like that. But instead of going through my list, you know, could I at dinner hit some of those? And even uh, every Tuesday, the daughter I was talking about prior to the break, 
every Tuesday I would, she was about an hour away at a college. And every Tuesday, because my wife teaches a Bible study, I would go and have dinner with her. And, and then my wife would say, Hey, how was your conversation with her? And I said, well, I got to, you know, I got three out of 10 (laughs) (laughs) instead of going through the whole list. And I, you know, I'm the guy, I want to get through the list. Okay. But I just found that it was, it was creating the dialogue and, and, uh, in a really neat way, part of our coming back was she came back and worked at Homeward, and there's quite a bit of travel and even international travel in my life, and so she traveled with me for four years. Hmm. Well, you know, we drew so close, and then she went back and got a master's degree in, in clinical psych and married, and, you know, the rest is history. But the point being is that I'm so glad I had that dialogue as opposed to a monologue, hmm. me telling her what was right. And you know what? I think I was right, to, to be honest. I mean, I'm not going to de- deny that, but... I needed to let her talk so that I could be that safe person as time went on when she, uh, you know, broke up with a boyfriend or when, you know, things didn't go so good or when she was trying to question what she was going to do with her life or whatever. And it's hard for us parents because we do typically know the answers. We do know what we want to share with them. Mm -hmm. These are our kids. This is what we did when they were five. I mean, yesterday, my six year old grandson went to vacation Bible school. It was wonderful. I picked him up and the whole way home. We had this amazing dialogue about Jesus and uh, it was beautiful. Well, I had those with my kids. Now, what part of that is building the foundations that when they get older, we can still have that dialogue. But I was so happy that, you know, he's tethered right now to his, he's six, but he's tethered to his faith. And it's mainly the faith of his mom and his Mm -hmm. dad, but he's tethered to that faith and actually to his grandma and grandpa too. And, uh, and that helps when they're in their adult years, trying to figure out who they are and what, what they're doing. And uh, part of the joy in the empty nest is watching our adult children do some of that exploration and then come up with some better answers than they did when they were, you know, 18, when they just left for college or whatever. Mm-hmm. What are some of the situations that might merit a parent allowing an adult child back into the home for a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we call this the boomerang. And by the way, most do boomerang. I mean, think about the pandemic. You had millions of adult children, young adults, hmm. wander back home immediately because they had no place to go. You know, the, clo- the schools were closed or they got left, you know, fired from a job or whatever it was. So, you know, there are multiple reasons. And in fact, until 1942, you had like 80% of the population had a grandparent living in the home. And you know, young adults there. Now, we're, today, we have more adults living at home than we have had since, you know, like, say, 1940s, hmm. okay? Well, that's interesting. That so, is. So what that means is there's lots of reasons. And I think when we do that, it's important for us to, when we have uh, them come back into the home, we have to, I think, create some expectations. And uh, I know we did this with our daughter, Becca, she said, hey, I'd like to come home for you know, a couple of months. Her roommate had, uh, had moved. And uh, we said, great. And then we had a meeting. And we said, hey, here's some of our expectations. We, um, you're an adult. We're not going to monitor what your story is. But, but because we go, we go to bed. But if you're up, out someplace, we're going to still be awake. So we want you to at least text us. Tell us where you are. You, know, you don't have to give us all the details. And also, we'd like dinner once or twice a week with you and that bathroom that's yours and so i gave her a bucket with a toilet brush and a couple of things and said you know we're we're asking you to do that as an adult it's your responsibility to clean that that bathroom and we laughed about the bucket 
So then I laughed because I said, do you have any expectations for us? And I, I mean, I figured she had none. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're bringing her back in. And she goes, I do. <laughs> she said, Dad, you sit in the living room when my friends come over, and you were a youth pastor at one time, so you're always hanging out, and they all love you, but you kind of take over. Um, it's, these, these are my friends. So I want to mm-hmm. invite you into that because it's great. They love being with you, but I don't want you just to plop down. And I was like, I always, you know, what, what is this? Then she went on and she had other expectations. Mom, I think you uh, tell me what to do too often. And you're going to have to be more careful with that because I'm an adult and I'm not living it the same way you live. But Mm -hmm. as long as I'm in the house, I want to obey kind of your guys house rules, but you got to know that I may not agree with everything you say. And it was actually a great dialogue, Michelle, because we just listened and then we wrote notes and we tried our best to meet her expectations, as well as expect her to meet our expectations. It wasn't perfect. There were times when at, you know, 12 o'clock, I'm texting her going, hey, I know you're going to check in at 11. Uh, oh, I'm watching a movie at, you know, around the corner. But, uh, you know, it, it's not perfect, but, but you got to do that with them and have those kind of expectation conversations. Well, and it sounds like she's pushing back just a little bit and she's saying, well, here's where I am. And yeah. you're saying, here's where we are. And it sounds like I mean, that's a totally healthy conversation. Yeah, you're right. And it is healthy. Um, not always what you want to hear, because when they're healthy, they sometimes will bring, <laughs> up, bring up things about your own, you know, stuff. And she, she, but you know what, it was, it was great because it's produced a dialogue with us that, um, you know, continues in, in some ways. So we feel very comfortable um, with all three of our daughters. We feel very comfortable having those kinds of conversations about stuff we might disagree. We don't have to agree to disagree on. But um, I'm finding that as my kids got through those kind of messy emerging adult years, that a lot of the stuff, they, you know, they started coming back to their roots, if you would. Mm. And um, so like, what a joy to sit next to my oldest daughter and her husband and, you know, two of the grandkids at church every every week. There's some travel in my life, so I'm not there every week, but, but, um, what a joy to have them actually more involved in our church than we are in terms of some of the small groups and things like that. Well, that, when she was in at Christian college, my oldest here, this is what I'm talking about. You know, she said, well, why do I need to go to to church? I, I go to chapel three days a week and, um, you know, church is kind of boring. And she actually wrote her senior last article for a newspaper because she was a journalist she wrote i had to disown my parents faith to own my own faith Hmm. and we had to realize that we were a part of that in terms of having to love and and care for her when she was kind of disowning our faith if you would but the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree today she's you know closer i mean i love our pastor i saw him yesterday and he just said oh i love christy and i was just talking to her and she's such a you know, dynamic person, and I love her faith, and you know, blah blah blah. And I was so proud to hear that because back in the college days, um, you know, she was having to figure out her faith and her values. So yeah. she figured it out. She came back. It's great. Jim, thank you so much for joining me, unlicensed to parent today. I appreciate all your good work and research and advice. Well, thank you, Michelle, and tell Trace I said hi. And I love what's going on at Shepherd's Hill Academy. So great time to be with you. Thank you.
Thank you. I'll pass that along. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent has been Jim Burns. Jim gives leadership to the ministry homeward. And we've been talking today about his book, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. And you can connect with Jim at homeward.com. That's homeward.com. And they want more than anything to help families succeed, as so do we. Licensed to Parent is an extension of Shepherds Hill Academy, our year-long Christ-centered wilderness-based residential program for troubled teens. And we are in the process of expanding our campus and we need your help. Would you consider giving a financial gift? You know, a gift of any amount to Shepherds Hill brings hope and healing to families in crisis. And you can give securely online by clicking the donate button at the top of the page when you visit licensedtoparent.org. Thanks to our team for making today possible. Our producer is Rich Rosel. Carl Peets is our technical producer. For Trace Embry, I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your license to parents.